0: One of the things that I did, uh, you know, in May is I decided to unlock my phone because I could because the CRTC finally said, you know, Bell, Rogers, the rest of you, you have to waive that $50 unlocking fee. That is it's not a good uh, uh, service to your clients. So uh, you'll have to unlock their phones for free. Uh, According to the CBC, CRTC's unlocked phone rule has sparked a crime spree. According to Bell and Rogers, they say there have been multiple armed robberies at stores since the new rules took effect. And uh, Bell and Rogers say that the new rules mandating all Canadian wireless carriers to sell unlocked phones have triggered a rise in thefts. So I don't know if they're overreacting or not, but we've got David Shipley on the line. He is our 640 Toronto cyber security expert. David, welcome to the program. Thoughts on this?
1: Well, good afternoon. And I think, you know, it's interesting, you know, unlock phones as a form of currency is um, kind of novel. uh, But it makes sense, given that some of these phones can be worth a $1,000 or more, that criminals might be interested. And I I wonder how much of this is an issue, not necessarily with like people walking into a a store and robbing it blind or with their supply chain and and theft uh, on that end. But I can see how it could be a problem for them.
0: Right, but that's their problem, not our problem. Can't they just lock up their inventory better?
1: Well, that's how some American retailers have approached this issue. They've done better inventory control and shipping and locking up the devices, and I think that's probably a prudent and necessary step. I don't think it's it's a good excuse to roll back to the days where you have to pay them a fee to get your phone unlocked. Um, and if anything, the only middle ground I would suggest is maybe they can keep the phones locked to their network until the day it's sold to an actual consumer, at which point it should be unlocked.
2: Interesting, David. Now, going back uh, backwards on this a little bit, why was it that they, they, that they were locking them, and why did the CRTC tell them, hey, no, you've got to stop selling these phones locked?
1: Great question. And the original motivation for locking the phones did not have to deal with uh, people stealing from stores, but rather locking you into that particular carrier. And it's often tied to the fact that they offer these phones at a subsidy or discount, so they want to make sure you stay with them until they get their money's worth. So
2: if you switch and, carriers, you're not walking with your phone, and and you're not uh, that hardware is sort of an incentive to stay where you were.
1: It, it was, and so it was. It wasn't cheap to get it unlocked. It was like fifty bucks. Um, and so it became a bit of a pain. And then if you wanted to try and sell your phone, you had to sell it to somebody that wanted to buy it for the Bell network, assumed or, or Telus or Rogers, um, assuming, you know, they couldn't get it unlocked. And if they could get it unlocked, then great. Um, but it was a headache for everybody. And I think it was a headache for them as well.
0: We were talking about uh, this last week, the DEF CON, um, 26th annual DEF CON conference in Vegas, and it's a conference for hackers. I know it sounds bizarre, but it it is. I'm sure we can learn a lot from hackers and probably hackers are hired by uh, certain companies to uh, help them with their security flaws and, uh, you know, making their systems uh, less susceptible to people hacking into them uh, but this defcon video shows a voting machine used in 18 states was hacked into in two minutes we were talking about this uh, last week about a 15 year old boy and a 15 and year old girl who uh, you know changed some of the results in florida voting machines very easily so what do you make of this
1: well, I think uh, Rachel Toback's work on this is absolutely critical because showing that it, how trivial it was, without even a tool, the only thing she needed was the tip of a ballpoint pen to gain access to these devices, illustrates that security is not being taken appropriately. And it's, it's a matter of people have to have 100% trust in the voting system. And it's why I'm such a passionate advocate for the paper ballot system we still use here today in Canada. You know, I think it's really important that we can trust our voting systems and anything that undermines that trust needs to get dealt with and it's not getting dealt with appropriately, I don't think, with a lot of these manufacturers.
0: Now, David, I know this is your purview, so uh, you know more about this than we do, but when you say uh, Rachel Toback uh, showed that it's easy to hack with a tip of a ballpoint pen, first of all, Rachel Toback is the person who uh, posted the tutorial on how to hack in in two minutes. But uh, come again with the ballpoint pen. What happened there?
1: she was actually able to demonstrate that the first parts of getting access to the device required no tools, they just flipped it open and disconnected a couple of cables. And the only security mechanism, the lock, was pickable with the tip of a ballpoint pen. And so Rachel is a, an expert of what you call social engineering. And so whether that's sending scam emails or calls or in-person visits, you know she really understands like, what happens when you can get access to information or systems. And so in this case, she demonstrated that it's trivial to, uh, to access these voting devices and potentially tamper with them. And not necessarily that you could sway the uh, results of the election per se by tampering with a number of devices, although in tight races maybe that's possible. The biggest thing, if you start undermining people's confidence that their vote matters, maybe they just stop showing up, and that's a bigger concern.
0: Yeah, well, they already have a problem with that in the States.
1: Absolutely. And we have issues here in Canada as well. So people need to have the full faith and trust in the democratic institutions or this whole thing falls apart.
2: Now, David, it's interesting that they have these hacking conventions and stuff. Is there any, you know, obviously there's probably some people out there who would rather this, that kind of thing didn't happen. But it's an opportunity for the manufacturers and the decision makers to learn where the flaws happen to be and correct them. Is that the way that the manufacturers view it? Do they say, "Hey, someone broke into my broke into my very important machine? That's an opportunity for me? Or are they mad because they look foolish?
1: I wish more companies took this as the opportunity to do better, but the reality is many will ignore these kinds of research findings until they face, regulatory pressure. You know, we've had these security conferences show very startling things with respect to medical device security, and it's still not any better. Or with respect to cybersecurity in cars, and it's been very slow progress in actually protecting our vehicles. The reality is, is our lawmakers here in Canada, and the United States in particular, need to wake up and need to start taking these issues seriously, because if they don't regulate and mandate companies to do better with cybersecurity, they won't. They're not incented to do that. I really
0: appreciate your time, David. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. You're always welcome.